Hey everybody, Neil Thompson here. I want to let you know about the Teach the Geek to Speak Society. What is it? Glad you asked. It's a monthly membership whereby you get access to my public speaking course, Teach the Geek to Speak. You also get access to a private Facebook group and monthly Zoom calls. Get ongoing support in your efforts to improve your public speaking. To learn more about the membership, click on the link in the show notes. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Today, my guest is Kritika Ashtaker. She's, she works as a product owner and is also a distinguished Toastmaster, which means that she's a skilled public speaker. She's the epitome of someone with a STEM background who saw the benefit of becoming adept to public speaking, the exact type of person most of us in STEM should strive to become. I'm really interested to learn more about what a product owner does when she realized that public speaking could be a benefit to her and what it took to become a distinguished Toastmaster. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Kritika. Thank you so much, Neil, for having me. It's an absolute honor to be here. Wonderful. So from the bit of research I did on you, I saw that you got your bachelor's in information technology. What motivated you to get that degree? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I come from India and most of the technologists that you might see are Indians. So when we were kids, uh, very often you, you would hear this in an Indian household, you can only be three things in your life. You can either be a doctor, an engineer, or a failure. <laughs> <Obviously>, <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. <laughs> we do have multiple career choices, but the prominent ones being an engineer. My older sister is an engineer. Many of my siblings, my cousins are engineers. So I've just grown up seeing them work in the engineering field. And that's what got me motivated to see them um, be in this field with ever growing popularity and so many technological advancements in every field and every domain that we can bring technology in and build a prosperous future for all of us. So that's really what got me motivated to, to get into engineering, to build things and to build, bring technology to each one of us to make our mundane tasks a little more easier and get us all connected. Doctor, engineer, failure. <laughs> no pressure there. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> well, I might have seen that said in one of, uh, I think, Jay Shetty's uh, podcasts as well. He says that often too, because that's just, it's very true. That's what we grew up in an Indian household sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> Pretty you said, competitive. You said you had a choice, but did you really? I mean, if you came home to tell your parents, you know no. what, this whole doctor, engineer thing, I, I don't know about all that. I want to be a I don't know. I want to be a chef. Would there, would there, been, would there have been, oh, no problem. Go ahead and do that. Be like, the hell you will be. <laughs> we told you your choice. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. But That's even wonderful. in engineering, the more you get into it, it really depends uh, from a person's interest. So somebody who's really interested and into engineering follows it through. Somebody who's not maybe would branch out and explore other possibilities and the possibilities are endless. <laughs> Wonderful. But then I also noticed that you didn't just stop with a bachelor's, you got a master's 
in information management. So I, I'll be very honest with you, Kritika. I have no clue what information management means. So <laughs> what, what, what does information management entail and why did you get a master's in it? Absolutely. So I graduated from Syracuse University in upstate New York. So after I completed my bachelor's, I worked for a couple of years back in India. And I just felt like I could do so much more, even in engineering. I wasn't necessarily interested in coding because that was not my forte. And coding does not, uh, technology doesn't necessarily equate to just coding. There are so many other things you could do, even in engineering and in technology in general. So I wanted to find a place where I could get management and technology together. And that's what I was looking for to have a mix of both of these. And that's what information management really is. So there's something for everyone. We had a couple of very hardcore courses on data science while some of them were doing information security. I wanted a blend of each of these so that I could um, exercise my management capabilities as well as always stay in technology where I really want to be in. Okay. So that's what got me interested into information management, which is right now also known as management of information systems in couple schools. But information management is also a similar term that is used gotcha. interchangeably, I would say. Mm -hmm. All right. So you got your degree in India. You worked there for a couple of years and you came to the U.S., upstate New York, to do a master's. What was the transition from India to the U.S. like? I'm gonna say it was not the easiest because I'm the first girl in all of my entire family to move overseas to pursue a master's degree. So coming from a family where nobody had even traveled outside for pleasure, let alone for a master's degree, this was a huge leap, a huge mindset shift also because for my parents to be so accepting and so supportive of me throughout the entire journey, that in, in itself speaks volumes about how much they wanted me to do well in whatever I do. So the journey definitely was a lot, especially it's a change of culture, it's a change of way you do things. And I have lived with my family for 25 years. So getting out of that cocoon and that comfort zone of my family into a whole wide world of obviously endless possibilities, but also it's a scary world out there if you're gonna be by yourself, a single woman, several miles away from your home country. So it took a while to settle down, find a community, find friends who would be there to support you over time, but also aggressively moving towards your goals of, for me at the time, it was completing my master's degree. So keeping the goal in mind, keeping the eye on the prize, that was the motivation that led me towards taking one day at a time, taking one step at a time towards that goal. Gotcha. And, and, as long, and as long as you stayed an engineer, I, I suppose your family wouldn't have been all that upset with you going overseas. If you would have went overseas and did anything else, then you know, you'd come back home. This is, we didn't send you over there to do any, anything other than the Right now, they would do anything to get me back home because it's been about three years I've traveled back home to see my family, the pandemic and everything. Yeah. They would just do anything. It doesn't matter if I'm an engineer or not at this point. It's just like, Come back home. <laughs> yeah, they, they want to see you absolutely. So you know, I mentioned in the in the intro that you're a product owner. So what exactly does a product what does the product owner do? Absolutely. So in my role as a product owner, it's definitely a gap or a person, a liaison who's filling the gap between the product manager and your development team. So product owners typically work very closely with the product managers to help set up the vision, the roadmap, 
for the product that the company seeks to launch or the organization seeks to launch. So I work very closely with the product managers to help set up the user stories, the priorities in which we should be launching the build of this particular product and making sure that throughout the way we are thinking about the vision and the roadmap in a sense to launch this product. So I take back all of this, build out the user stories and communicate that with my dev team and the QA team so that we are all in agreement or all on the same page so that we launch a successful product. That's essentially what a product owner would do. My goal is to move into the product management space soon. So I recently moved into this job as a product owner. So it's one step closer to moving towards the product manager role. Gotcha. So, you know, mm-hmm. you got you got degrees in, you got a degree in engineering and then you got a, another degree in information management. At some point, was it always your goal to move into, you know, becoming a product owner and then moving into product management? Or is this something that kind of happened? Did you ever work in a more technical role? So it definitely has evolved over time. I started off working as a developer and that's when I realized development is not my thing. I don't want to be doing coding on a day-to-day basis, but I know enough code to be able to see it from a product perspective or a high level perspective to be able to communicate back and forth between the business and the developers. So my role has eventually evolved, actually not the role, the jobs that have switched over time has evolved as such. I began as a developer. I was working as a tech analyst for a couple of years. I got a project management professional certification, which is PMP. But seeing as how fast the world is evolving, everybody is getting fast track on the agile uh, train or just on the agile methodology of doing things rather than the waterfall. So keeping that in mind, keeping the trend in mind and seeing how agile is a very successful methodology to launch products, that has been my inclination towards being up to speed with what the technological advancements are and how we can better deliver uh, to our customers. So that's what got me interested in product and the role evolves with time. It's not necessarily my goal, wasn't my goal at the beginning, but it has evolved with priorities. Gotcha. All right. That's, that's interesting because, you know, I often, I hear about the, the, the moves from, from technical to a more non-technical role. And I'm always thinking to myself, is this something that somebody always thought to do? Or is this kind of something that kind of happened? They saw this opportunity and then they took it. But it sounds like it was more of you just deciding that what you were doing at one point wasn't something you really wanted to do. And you wanted to figure out, well, what, what else could I do within the company? You found something else and it seems to be working out. So kudos to you for, for not just staying somewhere where you, where you started off and, and going elsewhere and, and finding, finding happiness there. So Sometimes the path is not a straight line, right? Sometimes that's what they say. It's not a corporate ladder. It's a corporate, corporate lattice and your roles would evolve with time and roles would change with competing priorities. Roles would evolve with how better you can serve your customers and the industry standards. So it's not one straight line. It's definitely different fits and falls. And then you learn from what's not working and then learn to adapt to make it work better. That's what it's all about. Gotcha. You know, Kritika, when I first started in engineering, I worked as a product development engineer in medical devices. I didn't have to do any sort of presenting in front of people. It wasn't until I became a project lead and had to give presentations in front of management 
Did I actually see, you know, maybe this is something that I should get better at. Just being technically sound wasn't good enough. If you're not the best, if you're not adept at communicating in front of people, especially people that are decision makers, well, that could be that could be a problem for you, just even in advancing at the company. When did you when did you realize that getting better or just being adept at presenting in front of people, being good at public speaking could be a benefit to you? Absolutely. That is such a great question and so near and dear to my heart, because so often I've worked with technologists and seen technologists all of my life, and they're so engrossed in their work. They're 24-7 sitting in front of their laptops and just typing in stuff or moving out code and doing things like that. You might be the best performer on your team, but if you're not able to communicate that to your clients, your customers, your team, even your upper management, it's eventually not going to be of any use because only you will know what you are doing, but if you don't communicate that to someone else, they are not going to get the value out of it. And it's, in a sense, it's not helping you professionally grow because they don't see the value you are delivering because there's no communication or there's no record of how great you can be only through communicating that, not just to deliver effective results, but also to put forth your value and your own professional development in terms of self-advocacy and advocating for yourself when it comes to the time of promotions and bonus, because you are just here doing your job, but who is out there advocating for you, if not you? And that's when I really realized that to be, to stay in this corporate world and to make your value known to everyone, communication is such an effective tool, especially when I moved into corporate US, working into corporate US, I have worked with people before. Like I said, I worked for a couple of years in India. But when I moved to the US, the team I was put in was a team of seven systems engineers who would all be sitting at their desk just doing their jobs. And they were all white male professionals. They, they have been the most supportive team that I have seen so far. Extremely nice, extremely friendly people. But just coming from a background of me being a um, um someone from India who's not used to the culture, a female systems engineer into a team of everyone else who's been on the team for a very long time. So I just felt like I wasn't confident enough in myself to voice out my opinion. Or even if I had a great idea about how we can do things better, I was a little shy and afraid to bring it up just because I was hesitant that I'd be laughed on or I didn't have the confidence to speak up. And I really wanted to find that place of confidence within me to be able to voice out my opinions. I have an opinion and I wanted to share. I just didn't want it to be a technologist sitting at her computer all day. So that's when I really figured the value of communication, the value of voicing out your opinions and the value of being heard in a room full of people, no matter where they come from, no matter their level, no matter their expertise, because even if your idea was put down, it would just be a learning experience and you would grow from that. And that's really when I discovered Toastmasters as well. And this is through our organization. We have a corporate club within our organization, but that really opened doors for me where I felt like this is a place, um, non-judgmental place where you can come here, speak up and voice out your opinions. And there's a place for everyone. And through practice, consistently visiting them a couple of times, speaking up, I learned to develop that confidence. Language was never a barrier because I've done all of my schooling and education in English, but 
English is not my first language. It's still, I'm a non-native speaker, but since I've done all of my schooling in English, it just came naturally to me. So speaking in itself was not a problem. Speaking in front of people was the real problem. And it's especially speaking in front of large groups of people, again, could seem a little more intimidating because it looks like all the eyes are on you and you have to be in your place to be speaking effectively to communicate your message across. So that was definitely the crucial turning point where I realized that just doing your job, however good you're at it, doesn't really add value to you or your team or your projects, but how effectively you communicate that to your stakeholders definitely is the key to success here. You know, you know, Pratika, English is my <laughs> only language. And, and I'm, I'm, I, when I first started up, I, I was nervous giving up, getting up in, in front of people. And I mentioned I had to give these presentations in front of senior management on a monthly basis. And those first few presentations were absolutely horrendous. I can only imagine how bad they would have been. <laughs> English was not my first language. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the, the amount of sweat, the amount of sweat fatigue that could come out of one's body. It was, it was amazing. Oh. It, it, it was just it was like, it was like, I was wet. Like I just came out the shower. It, it was just, it, I, I knew I had to get better at it. So I commend you for seeing the, the importance of getting better at public speaking and you joined a Toastmasters club. And I mentioned that you're a distinguished Toastmaster. So that, that actually takes quite a bit of work to become. So mm -hmm. what did you have to do to become a distinguished Toastmaster? So for those who don't know, distinguished Toastmaster is the highest award you can re receive through the Toastmasters International Organization going through several amount of speeches and projects. So I have been with Toastmasters about four years now. and. Like I said, my turning point was when I realized that I needed to open up, I needed to speak up so that my voice is heard. And that's when I joined Toastmasters. But to accomplish distinguished Toastmasters was a whole different ballgame. I, I have seen dignitaries in the past who have been in this field for a very long time and they're very proficient speakers. But distinguished Toastmasters is like a detailed curriculum where you have to do several speeches and not just the speeches, which is the delivery part, um, it was more about writing down your speeches, practicing your speeches, communicating effectively. But along with that, there were several other projects where you work with a team. How well would you put together a team? How well would you develop a plan of action, a communication plan, an execution plan, and execute those projects in terms of maybe launching an open house, maybe serving the community, any project that you're very passionate about, you need to speak about how you go about the entire planning and execution and completion process. Sit down and draft out retrospectives about what did you learn from this process and how well did it bring out your leadership skills, communication skills, and not just your public speaking skills. So it was a whole holistic program and approach to not just speaking, but also how well you could work with people, how well you could communicate your message, how well you can lead and that's the tagline of Toastmasters. Obviously, it's not an advertisement, but the tagline of Toastmasters says, where leaders are made. So it's beyond public speaking or beyond communication. It's more about how can you be a leader of yourself or how can you be a leader of your life to effectively lead not just you, but the people you're taking along with you. So throughout this entire journey of being a distinguished Toastmaster, it definitely has been a memorable one. And like I said, I or I do not say this, but I'm actually an introvert and speaking up in front of a large group of people, again, very intimidating, very scary. But one of my coaches once told me, if you're scared of doing anything, 
do it scared because the opportunity cost that you're losing in the process is more huge than not trying at all. So just the fact that if you're scared of doing anything, just do it scared. At least you would have gotten somewhere than not doing it at, uh, it at all. So definitely it has been a learning, uh, it has definitely been a great learning experience and distinguished Toastmaster, I must say, is a, great, is a great feather in my cap in terms of public speaking. No question. And, <laughs> you, and you mentioned a, a bunch of other benefits of becoming a distinguished Toastmasters too. The, the you know, leading people, creating, creating opportunities for others, and then in addition to the public speaking. And these are all skills or, or attributes that I think could be of benefit to any engineer that works at that works at a company or even works for themselves, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like there's any kind of downside. And it, it does seem like it's quite yeah. a bit of work, but it also sounds like the work is is definitely worth it. When it comes to the the presentations that you do, do you have a process for putting them together? And if so, what is it? Absolutely. So not just presentations, not just speeches, but with any aspect, the first big thing is know your audience. Who are you delivering this message to? And the three things to remember while putting together a presentation is the body, is the introduction, body, and conclusion, which in effect is tell the audience what you're going to talk about, then tell them in the body of the message, and then tell again, which is summarization of what you've just told them. That effectively leads to a good flow of what you're going to be talking about because it helps set the context and doesn't take your audience by surprise. In the body, you're talking actually about the key message that you want to send across. And in summarization, you're bringing together everything that you just spoke about so that it the audience can retain at least one to two takeaways because that would mean an effective presentation. And that would be the message that they came here for. That is the recipe of a successful presentation or a speech. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, yeah, yeah. Intro, body, conclusion. It, it's it, obviously it it makes sense. It, it logically flows. Do you, out of curiosity, do you start with when you're preparing your your speeches? Do you start with intro or do you start with conclusion? Do, <laughs> do you start with body? Do, do you have a, a, a process for that? Okay, this is going to sound very very funny, and I don't know what what made you ask that question, but I I almost feel like you read through me because I'm the one breaking the norms and doing unconventional things because technically, logically, a person would think that I need to start with a powerful message to attract my audience and keep them hooked and then bring it all together. But my mind thinks a little differently where I always begin with a conclusion. I don't know why, because this is what I want my audience to take away. So I begin with the conclusion, then draft out the body and then start with a powerful intro message. And typically within my intros, I like to use a story of my life or what made me actually think about this topic to deliver to my audience. So it would either be a story, an anecdote, a great joke. <laughs> that could be your hook point. Intros are usually supposed to be your hook, which gets your audience hooked into your topic. Or maybe even an amazing quote. So one of my most favorite quotes by Maya Angelou um, definitely says, People will forget what you did. People will forget what you said, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that I feel is so powerful. I love that message and I've used it in a bunch of my speeches so many times because it, it's more about the people connection. And I also like to speak a lot about networking because 
public speaking and networking is has been my biggest assets which has helped me grow in the in the corporate uh us or in my corporate work culture so far and definitely like to ask people to tap into these skills which might seem very very intimidating like i've heard people say this so many times networking seems so scary i don't want to go there and talk to random people and these people won't even know me what do i go and talk to them but i just feel like having that people connection whether you build it one on one is so powerful especially coming from an introvert like me <laughs> so i definitely feel like those two skills are something which each of us needs to hone on and work on nice well if you're if you're strange by starting with the the end of your presentations when you're putting them together i guess we're both strange i always start <laughs> there you go that's why i thought you you could see me through and through <laughs> <laughs> and that maya angelou quote i've heard it before you know paraphrasing it you know people don't remember what you said but they remember how you how you made them feel i i hate that quote i hate that quote <laughs> so much i really? I, 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 can't, i can't stand that quote i i want people to remember what i said i spent all this time <laughs> putting the presentation <laughs> that's together. That's a and good all you remember is how you feel? Come on, man. Feelings are fleeting. I want that message to stick. <laughs> See, but the point is you said something and if it's if it stirred something in me, if I felt your message, then that's a message well delivered. Okay, but well, if you you feel it and you don't do anything about it, what do I care? <laughs> do something about it, damn it. <laughs> but you did your part. That's the point. I did all I could do. I did all I could do, man. <laughs> So, that's a great perspective though. <laughs> when it comes to be, I guess before you you give a presentation, do you ever get nervous? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? <laughs> well, I I am nervous every single time and I have my legs shivering, my hands shivering, I'm sweating all over. It's a very very normal thing before getting in front of an audience before public speaking and I can tell you any person who goes on the stage always has jitters. and my favorite thing to tell even some of my mentees for public speaking to get rid of those jitters is to first thing just get there <laughs> first thing is show up that's the biggest thing that you need to do and once you're there just take a couple deep breaths center yourself because at this point you've done everything you could to be able to deliver a presentation but if you're not calm if you're not focused that message is going to go across your and there and have things you might not even remember while delivering the message so you need to be in that space of calm and presence to be able to deliver that message effectively so taking a couple deep breaths will eventually calm you down and once you get started it just flows <laughs> it yeah. just goes then no question anytime i've ever asked that question and someone says they they're never nervous I don't believe anything they say after that. I don't either. You're like you, you're damn right. Everyone gets a bit nervous before you give a presentation. If if not, that's that's actually a problem. I'm I'm a firm believer that if you're not nervous before you give a presentation, it's a sign that you don't care about the presentation itself. Right. If you actually care about what people get out of it, you care well, I guess it, what Maya Angelou would say how, how they feel afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> then then you're going to be a bit nervous. before you get the presentation but i really like your tips on how to how to manage those thank nerves thank you my mentor would actually tell me if you're not nervous before a presentation that means you're not doing it right <laughs> that no means problem. you're not growing nice that's a that's a smart mentor you got there well Absolutely. you know you know critica this has been great speaking with you thank you for being a guest how can people get in touch with you 
Absolutely. So I'm always accessible on LinkedIn. It's Kritika Ashtaker and the same on Instagram as well. It's Kritika.ashtaker. So yeah, thank you. Wonderful. Well, everybody, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking out Teach the Geek to Speak Society. It's a monthly membership where you can work on or get ongoing support with your public speaking. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Katika. Thank you so much, Neil. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.